Economics in the Spirit presents How to be a success. Ordinary men living extraordinary lives. The podcast that explores the messy nuts and bolts behind people's success. Now here's your host, S.B. Cole, author of The Good Man, exploring economics and the spirit. B.J. Malenga is an award-winning entrepreneur. At the age of just 14, B.J. started Supertuk, a franchise of student-run tuk shops in schools. In 2016, when BJ was 20 years old, he became the youngest person to receive Her Majesty the Queen's Award for Enterprise Promotion. He has since gone on to create and exit six businesses and work for brands such as Sony Music, Uber, Coca-Cola, Facebook, River Island and Nike. BJ, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to talk to you today. Brilliant. We are going to begin with the beginning section. Tell me about what you were like as a boy. Where did you grow up? I grew up in East London, Brick Lane, Allgate. Um, very much living in the cross divide of being in East London now, but also, you know, being two streets from the city. So someone like myself and my siblings, where we grew up in free school mills and we didn't always have um, the luxuries, um, like getting the latest games and consoles, um, we were still able to see what luxury looked like, see big buildings. So me growing up, I, I just through element of TV and internet, um, I always had big dreams to kind of do big things. I wanted to be a hotel manager. I wanted to work in work in space and aviation. Um, but none of these things stuck because they weren't skills I had, but they, they were just ideas I had as a kid. Um, I gamed a lot for a little bit when I was, um, age seven to 10, um, cause I wasn't that much of a sports person. And, um, I also consumed a lot of music. Um, I tried my hand at rapping with my cousins, but I was not a poet and I wasn't a rapper. Um, but I realized that I, I really liked, um, kind of organizing stuff and getting people to just do things. I had a go get a mentality. It may have come from TV shows and movies I'd watched. I watched eight mile and get rich die trying when I was eight, nine years old. And I saw people just trying to do stuff because when I, in 2003 I was eight years old so those are the years that those kind of movies and films had come out so me fast forwarding to around 2009 2008 as a 12 13 year old um, I literally was trying to find ways to help my friends who were better musicians and better dancers than me to have elements to perform so um, my local youth club um, I worked with the youth leaders there to organize talent shows um, they already had talent shows that happened annually, but I wanted them to do some more regular talent shows so more people got a chance to shine. Um, and me and my friend Christian, we just kind of fell into it. We were we started for one talent show, sold out, 200 people came, £2 a ticket. It wasn't life-changing money, but it was a light bulb moment where we had an idea, we executed it, it took 10 weeks, and people came, performed, it was safe, no one got hurt, and everyone enjoyed and people got a chance to showcase their skills. Um, and some bands were formed there, you know, and in that first performance, my, my cousin had a, sound, a band called Mammoth Sound and they, they had their first ever performance at a talent show we put on. And four years later, they, when we were 17, they had gone on and performed in some really awesome places like Oto Indigo and been to Madrid. And um, yeah, it was just awesome to see like people develop behind the scenes. So I think my childhood was twofold. One was, Gaming, listening to music, kind of figuring out who I want to be and kind of living in this interesting kind of midsection of seeing poverty and seeing culture 
in Brick Lane and Allgate, but then being able to see Tower Bridge, London Bridge, the city on the weekend and after school and see these big buildings, like you can really you can really see the sense of wealth around you. Like it was normal to walk around and see a Mercedes or a Rolls Royce or Ferrari. And I think these little things as a young boy, and it, when you start watching MTV Cribs or stuff on TV, that's one thing. But when you can see it in real life, I feel like, and you look at people and you ask them questions. I was that kid who asked people questions. Oh, what do you do? And how'd you get here? I started to realize very early from, you know, 11 to 16 during that time period that if I applied myself, there was no limit to the kind of things you can go out and do. Um, and I suppose the second half was of my teenage years was all about application. So before any business, I was always trying stuff. So there's a lot of stuff I didn't mention that failed. But I think the things that did work was the talent show. And we didn't just sell tickets. We ended up making merch. We, helped, we ended up helping the artists press their first CDs. At the time, mixtape was still a big thing, you know. So we didn't have all of these streaming platforms. So we'd press up 100 CDs and sell it and do some split commissions with them. So, yeah, it was it was a a great learning curve being given a creative license to kind of do stuff in a space that was promoting youth excellence. Um, Were you a good kid at school? I was both. I was both a good kid and a bad kid. I was pretty naughty up until age 12. Um, I had a stammer and did speech therapy up until age seven as my, my mother spoke to me in French first. So my first language was French, even though I was born here. French. So where are your parents from? They're from Congo, DRC, and um, they dad came to France when he was 24. Mum came to Belgium when she was 18 for university. Um, both came in different routes. Um, and when they met, um, my, my, my mum had me at 30, my dad had me at 33. French was still their biggest language they spoke. It was the first thing they knew, um, along with the mother tongue, Lingala. So when I was a little kid, my dad spoke to me in English via watching cartoons, and my mum spoke to me in French and spent more time with my mother. So for me, up until age seven, English language was, wasn't um, easy for me, so I used to stutter a lot. And um, having the training and therapy around how to speak and allocate your sentences helped, um, but it, the kind of ramification was I was very um, fidgety at, work, at school um, and was a bit of a class clown, and I didn't like being taken the make out of. So I think that kind of stuck for a little bit from age five all the way to like year seven year eight um and when I found things to do with myself like the youth club I didn't have time for detention no more so I was pretty naughty but having something to do and something to go it gave me a purpose I wasn't just in the system and that allowed me to just do the work I think a whole part of being in secondary school and doing good is doing the work if you uh, if you like the subject you're studying, like I really like ICT, I really like history, I really like drama, it was no problem for me to go and research and find awesome people who were black, who had done awesome stuff in those spaces. So that was the thing that changed. So if, I sp- if you spoke to my school teachers, there's probably two folds and two relationships you'll see. There's the BJ that was naughty up until 12, 13, and there's BJ who was a, a great student and was in Gifting Talent Programme and did a lot of give back project for the, the younger years in the school. And I, I think it helped me a lot with the businesses that we're going to go on and talk about because I was able to go into any school and relate with any student. I can identify why a student's being naughty and give stories around how more naughty I can go or what where that leads. <laughs> and then I could also relate to the smart kids who were maybe being a bit lazy um, and needed that bit of a kick up. The, you know, no pun intended, but, you know, that motivation, that little bit of 
push and say, look, this is what you can achieve if you apply yourself and think out the box. So what was that thing when you were 13, 14 at school that really made you focus and apply yourself? So yeah, age 12, I was um, unfortunately put in the learning support unit. Um, so I was taken out of education for three months. And a lot of kids who end up doing two months, three months, one week, two weeks in those spaces, they kind of go on a downward spiral. Um, can you just can you just tell me what is a behaviour sport unit? Was it because you did something naughty? I was yeah regularly naughty, so I excluded like forty times by the time I was wow. in your eight. So it was a lot. Like I was I was rarely in school. I was always excluded, but I wasn't excluded because I'm the baddest person in the world. It's just I suppose you're proving yourself. You're doing all these naughty things. So it's just continuation of what I just mentioned there. But me being there. We were given license to do what we wanted, but it wasn't. You're not. You weren't allowed in mainstream school, so you weren't in normal lunch breaks. Every lunch break was earlier. Didn't break time was different. You could leave school a bit earlier and stuff like that. And it sounds cool at the start for any little kid listening, but it really is not a great place to be because you're not learning. Um, you're kind of left to kind of self-teach yourself and sit in silence for hours. Um, so I just started reading business books. Um, that was my thing. I was just reading the GCSE business book. I was kind of into Dragon's Den and Apprentice at the time. And the turning point was I found the youth club. The youth club, I hadn't really gone to a youth club yet, like before when I was in primary school. Um, it wasn't in a state where people always click balls together. But just a few streets down, there was a youth club. And I found something online around youth music. And then I went in. And when I went there, it just it was amazing. Like, it was a venue called Brady Arts Center which is still there till today. And in it, you can do music on Mondays and Tuesdays. You can do fashion Wednesdays and Thursdays. You can do drama. And then on a weekend, the people doing rehearsals. So I went and I signed up for everything. I tried my hand at everything. And that gave me, again, a reason to apply myself because I looked forward to the evening. So I wasn't coming late to school. I wasn't missing my homework because... And then when that, when those two things stopped, a lot of the tension stopped. When the tension stops, you're not fight, you're not you're not having to fight or do little things with other naughty kids. You're kind of just in your own lane. So I think those are the changing factors that that helped change my life. And um, yeah, twelve years old, twelve to thirteen. I'm I'm born in the summer, so I was twelve at the time. So twelve was like the, the pivotal point for me. I think that is absolutely brilliant because you hear the narrative about black boys and it is you get in trouble at school, you end up getting excluded, then you get into crime, then you get into prison, then you get into et cetera, et cetera. And that's kind of the accepted narrative for some black boys. Mm. But what you're telling me is you got to the point where you were excluded and that was the point that you turned your life around. I sat there and started reading business books and now you are a hugely successful entrepreneur. That is so inspiring. Thanks. It's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. But there's others like me, you know, the, narr the narrative, you just need to tell the stories. There are also people who've changed their life. And I think when you experience extreme things, no matter what age you're at, you, you get forced to make a decision around who you want to be. And I was asked that question, like, who do you want to be? Do you want to go be in prison? Do you want to die? Do you want to, you know, what do you want to do? Do you want to be a millionaire? Because if you want to be rich, this is not how you're going to do it. If you want to retire your parents, it's not how you're going to do it. And that, that, that kind of conversation resonated with me. Brilliant. We are going to move on to the next section, which is the how did you get that job section? You are a serial entrepreneur. How did you get started as an entrepreneur? 
I got started in my youth club um, doing shows and selling merch and selling tickets. That really started the bug. Then I spent a lot of time as a 13-year-old researching how to start a clothing line properly and also how to make an app. And neither thing were within the budget constraints I had. So um, the the logical thing that really became my first proper business, because we weren't doing events every day, you know, it was kind of very much a, a quarterly thing we were doing there. Um, my first proper business was setting up my school official tuck shop. So I asked the school and pitched them an idea that me and a couple of other friends would be able to learn about business in a more applied way via the use of um, a shop structure where we could buy and sell stock, we could understand seasonality, um, at my school, you know, historically people had sold out their backpacks illegally and they would get told off and get confiscated. And I didn't want to be in that space. So, um, I quickly asked, um, and persisted with the head teacher. I had to have like three different meetings where I went in and spoke about, um, spoke about the impact of having a shop and they allowed me to do it. Um, and enabled me and other peers to learn about business in a proper way. And we were generating hundred to 200 pound a day, um, and that was very real. It was a very real business for fourteen year olds. And um we're just reinvesting in stock, growing, growing, growing. And um the second year I decided to go pitch it to two other schools, got two other schools on board, and then I spent the next three years going to over a hundred schools and training five thousand students. Um so my journey was very much one of going and working with as many young people as I could. And um SuperTuck was the very first business that was like my first job. Um, and then in terms of my first formal job, which I had to kind of have a line manager at the time, I went to intern at a company called Liberty, who owned a magazine called Live Magazine in South London. They'd seen thousands of young black creatives come through their door and uh, tried my hand at, at journalism, tried my hand at being an art director, and I fell into advertising. So they had a lady who was selling advertising space to Nando's, MTV, different brands in the magazine. And um, I started to... Be mentored by her and I'd go in twice a week after school and that was my first like proper shop my proper little job I did some advertising and then I was doing some distribution like going and distributing the magazine in different different hot spots of London um so how old were you when you did that interning for that um company 15, 15. Yeah, so that was properly yeah. your work experience at school was with that magazine my work experience for school was at a design agency for two weeks but I, that was my own personal work experience that I signed up to myself so you sought out that company, you sought out that. So you're big on like research and seeking out opportunities. Have to, have to. So I came across a blog called My Come Up when I was growing up and it was a daily blog. It was like basically a news site that just showcased stories of people doing awesome stuff every day. Awesome black people, um, um, Asian entrepreneurs from around the world playing back old school videos. Um, and that really had an impact on my life. I was watching videos of PDD set up the record label as a young 20 year old. Russell Simmons set up Def Jam, one of the first hip hop labels. Um, Richard Branson, like doing crazy, crazy adventure stuff at 16, 18, 19, 25. And I was like, that's, that's the kind of entrepreneur I want to be. I want to try, just try, just do it, try. And, from 12 to 15, if you imagine every day, this is what I was doing. Like I, I don't have really good like memories of films. Like people always ask me, Oh, did you watch this film? I don't, I couldn't tell you the story of Iron Man. I really was like obsessive about how companies are formed, why they're formed and what they did. So learning about Disney and like Walt Disney got bankrupt seven times. I'm like, well, that's, that's so interesting to me. And that was applied 
to when I'm looking for things. I'm like, oh, I want to, ma- I want to make some money so I can put more money in a tuck shop. I was like, oh, why don't I get a job? You're not 16, so you can't get a proper job. But then I was like, oh, there's this magazine. Young people can write for them. I'm like, oh, can I sell adverts and get a commission? So that's where my brain started going, you know? So I was the first person to do that role. Amazing. So what was your first job job? Or have you always been an entrepreneur? So you've had like different kind of side gigs along with entrepreneur, being an entrepreneur? Always been an entrepreneur. Um, the... The technical jobs that have like had me on payroll, I worked at Selfridges when I was 16. So as soon as I went to college, I got a weekend job at Selfridges. Wanted to learn more about retail because I was expanding my super tuck space. And um, I got headhunted at Selfridges to go work for a French brand called Sandro. And then I never worked for no one again after after 17. I just handed my resignation and the business was so busy, I was just full time. Um, and then since then, the only types of work I've done has been uh, consultancies. So consultancies where I go in and help a big brand to do their marketing strategy, Gen Z strategy or recruitment strategy for one day, two weeks, it never full time, but it just contract and it pays well. And yeah, thank God that this is something that I've been able to do. So when you talk about uh, business was so busy at 17, was that super took? Yeah, yeah, super was growing. And franchising, it got up to 100 schools? 100 schools, 100 schools. But you are a serial entrepreneur. So could you just briefly just tell me about going from one business to starting six more? Yeah. So I just have like interesting ideas of things I, I think I would like to do in the world. And I just go out and do them. I find awesome people I want to work with and make ways and make time to kind of collaborate and work together. So whilst I was learning about advertising and marketing with Liberty and I was being mentored by my bank around how to set up an educational structure. I still had other interests. So me and a friend set up a music management business. So we started looking after talent, coming up with, you know, their plan of how they're going to release more music into the world and how they're going to tour. So we had a lady called Ayana Witt Johnson. It's one of our Primax. She was nominated for Mobo. Um, I, I was the one who did her first headline show at Jazz Cafe. That was all me and my team. We programmed that. I was 19 at the time. And, um, yeah, that was one of my my side hustles. I, I then acquired some shares in a design agency and we worked on that for a year, um, helped them kind of scale up their services. Um, and then, yeah, they got to a place where they wanted us more full-time, me and my business partner, but we wanted to focus on Super. So we did that. And then Super evolved. I didn't really want to just do a tuck shop. I wanted to do stuff in retail in the streets, in the high street. So I took over pop-up shops um, and reimagined the high street with other teenagers and got River Island and Barclays and other brands involved. Um, when I was doing that, I, I found influencers. I met YouTubers who were helping promote the activity I was doing. And I got close to one of them and he said some problems that were happening in the industry when it came to briefing and branding. And I was like, oh, why don't we do a marketing agency? I can talk to brands. You can talk to creators. And I did that for two and a half years. So everything I've just done is kind of just flowed naturally. Um, when the pandemic hit last year, a lot of business was lost in the training business I ran. So I moved into food again. I, I set up a food bank. We've had 20,000 people in a year. And I also set up a courier business as well. So I'm always creating things. And um, I couldn't tell you where I'm going to be in five years. But I, I, I do what feels right. I look at the data, what's working. And I step away from things that don't that no longer serve me. But I always try my best. And that's all I can do. I'm going to ask you one last brief question for this section. How do you finance it? Um, so there's different ways you can finance it. If you if you break it down, you've got to think about, right, what do you need? What do you actually need? Do you need £1,000? Do you need £5,000? Do you need £500? It's about figuring out what do you need to operate for a month? What do you need to get to market? 
And once you figure out what you need to get to market, there's different ways to finance. When I was starting out, the way I used to finance stuff was go to work. So I work at Liberty, do advertising, go work at Selfridges. That would finance, put money back in. That was number one. Number two, you can get loans. So banks, you can get cash loans from different banks. There's stuff like the startup loan. There's stuff like bounce back loan. There's loads of different loan options, which I've exercised. I've Then there's angel investing, which I've also exercised. So if, you, if you've got some data and you guys are doing okay, you can raise money. I raised six figures three times for three different businesses and that's just built on relationships. I didn't know none of these people. People don't know my mom and dad. But over time, as I put myself out there, tell my story, I start you start meeting investors, meeting interesting people who want to back you. And then the fourth thing is making sales. So if you've got an agency and you've got a product and you've got something that people can purchase and it's a solution, do a circle of influence. Put a, a mind map or paper and go, who do we know? Who does everyone around you know? And go hit on those doors and talk, tell your story on LinkedIn, tell your story on Twitter, and people will come. Make sure you have a clear landing page. So, yeah, two of my other businesses have been sh- strictly bootstrapped, and we've gone and got like Apple, Facebook, and clients like that very early on, which has just helped propel the business. So, yeah, those are the four different strategies I've used. Um, but it always comes down to understanding what do we need? Do we need a thousand? Do we need 10,000? Do we need a hundred thousand? Based on what you're looking to do and then working backwards. And don't be afraid to sometimes do a side hustle to feed the main hustle because sometimes you can do something like if you can write or if you can edit, be a PA virtually and get 20 pounds an hour. You know, do that for 10 hours. That's 200 pounds. 100 hours, that's two grand. You can do that for two months and come back, you know? there's People need to just break it down and make baby steps. That's how I kind of approach it. Mm-hmm. So start with job on the side, use that money, invest it. Potentially, you need to start with what do I need? Like how much do I need? And then make a plan from there. Got you. We are going to move on to the next section, which is the battlefield of the mind section. In this section, I would like you to be gracious enough to tell me what the greatest struggle has been in your life. Uh, I think there's been multiple struggles. I don't think there's a, a greater struggle. Um, so I'm, I'm religious, I'm Christian by faith. And for me, everything I do, I do with faith. Um, there's been times I've not been um, super religious and I just thought everything was by my own might. But I, I think people need to just do what works for them. And for me personally, having a community of people who have faith in something and can support each other is quite important to me. Um, so one of the biggest battles, especially being a teenage entrepreneur, was imposter syndrome. So wearing suits or trying to fit in or trying to say all these smart words. And for me, I, as soon as I tapped into energy of just doing me, being consistent, that's what's helped me. But, you know, you still get imposter syndrome. Um, until today, there's there's things you do, you're like, oh, I'm not in a space to do that. But no, just try. Don't, don't try to be an expert. Don't try to be the best person in the world at it. Just tell your version of that story. Tell your version of how you think this approach should be. And people buy into you. People buy into people. People don't buy into the accolades. People buy into people. It's the biggest thing I've learned over my career thus far. So me having to constantly remind myself that, you know, the imposter syndrome you face and the butterflies you face that stop you from doing things, you 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 have to just walk, take a couple of steps, take some baby steps and the team will form, you know? So that's that's one of the biggest challenges. And I suppose the other biggest challenge has been resources. Um, it's all the stuff I said to you around financing options for business you know this is great to me saying in hindsight after being in the game for 10 years but at the time it was very hard you know you're figuring out 
how am I really going to afford to set up this or set up that wherever I was working on at the time? And you don't have contacts. We were trying to reach out to these investors who you've met once. Um, so that, that, that second thing for me is the biggest challenge has been a lack of resources. Um, but I've overcame it by being different with how I approach things and going to study how other people from works of life I've come from have also accomplished it. So that, that, idea that I just mentioned of doing a side hustle to feed the main hustle, just, I didn't create that. People have been doing it for years, decades even, um, you know, like they'll make, make success or something. It wasn't really what they were really looking to do, but it's worked. And then they've gone on and cracked on with what they really wanted to do. So it's about having mind, mind frames and frameworks that help you unlock um, the strategies that you need to go out and do and that's why I'm such a, a big big believer in education not stopping at 21 or education not stopping in the four walls of institution but it being a lifelong journey and when someone falls in love with learning at whatever style they want whether it's audio textbook or for practical work but learning and active learning plans for yourself that's the only thing that can kind of help eradicate imposter syndrome and the lack of resources can I ask you, how did imposter syndrome and possibly the financial difficulties affect you mentally? Um, so how it affects you mentally is you, you have anxiety, you have stress that's not based on anything. It's based on what you think may happen. Um, yeah, number one, it's, it's the anxiety that comes from you being in your mind and thinking about things that haven't happened yet. And then number two, imposter syndrome, from a mental perspective, can stop you from even taking action. And that's like, you want to do something. You want to do something. But you're like, you're you're talking yourself out. And when you deep it and you reflect, you're like, wait, no one's telling me I can't do this. It's yourself. The biggest battle we have as humans is in our mind. Studies have proven it. So... Yeah, tapping into that and understanding that is, is was been very important for me, but I didn't have that information when I was going through it. So, yeah, like the biggest battle that imposter syndrome gives me on the mind is these kind of mental blocks that you put on yourself that no one has put on you but yourself. You took yourself out of everything. Can I ask, did you ever have a crisis point with that anxiety and a point where you're like, right, I need to have a strategy to turn this around? Never. I didn't have a, stra- yeah, for me, because of the, the other stuff that I mentioned, the content I watched, um, I always have an optimistic mind frame around big things. So imposter syndrome has never really held me back from doing stuff. I say never completely, but it's, that's not the complete truth. Like there's obviously a percentage. Yes, absolutely. But I don't have like a big thing that I can refer back to as a, I was in this rut for a long time regarding that. But what I can say is the side effect of being optimistic and trying to do things is you you then don't manage your workload and you do too much. So I think the thing that I have had, which has been a crisis for myself internally, has been burnout. So working so hard, not knowing when to rest, not understanding work-life balance, um, just chasing the bag, chasing the vision so much that you don't you don't look after your your mental mind state or your health and your the way you're eating and the way you're sleeping. So I think those have been the things that have been more crisis points for me, and I've now implemented you know daily workouts, rest days, active resting, meditation journaling 
Um, and then also accountability with friends because there's a lot of us who grew up on hustle culture, you know? Um, and I, I'm now a big fan of having balance, big balance. What is the biggest key to balance in your life? I think the biggest key to balance in my life is... It's management of your calendar. You understanding your time, because time is it's a fleeting asset. Um, and there's things you can do to make time. How do so you make time? Make, you, you analyze what your core values are. So if a value system for me is family, if a value system for me is community, then that needs to be a promoter, proponent of my, my daily activity, a proponent of my weekly activity. So I don't just live my life aimlessly. I leave space for the serendipity of what could happen and I have gaps in my diary, but I actively plan meditation. I actively plan journaling. I actively plan one hour, 90 minute lunch breaks. So to create balance, you can't not schedule things that are important that make you feel great and that make you feel wholesome um, because I schedule all of the stuff that make money and you know you can keep booking, 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 but you need to have non-negotiables yourself. So it might be a simple thing like, right, there's two nights in a week out of the five work week where I don't go out. Or two nights in a week where I don't have online Zoom events in the evening. That's my time. Three nights sometimes. So those are little things. Or these are two times in a week I'm going to have a bath. Those kind of non-negotiables yourself is how you find balance for myself. And yeah, making time is, is stuff is stuff like that. It's identifying those key assets that are important to you. And also identifying little techniques that help you feel more wholesome. And then just interweaving it in your day, interweaving it in your week. Don't feel um, annoyed or, you know, really angry at yourself if you miss it. But having that as a regular practice allows you to feel more better about yourself and about the projection of where your life's going. And that's my current understanding today. Brilliant. Brilliant. We're going to move on to the next section, which is the mountaintop section. So my question for you is, what are some of the true highlights in your journey in life? I think some of the highlights in my journey in life so far have been um, helping thousands of young people find work. Um, some people have changed their lives and it's, it's just groundbreaking and I just love the impact that I'm able to have with the work that me and my team create. So there's a young person I met four years ago, for example, Remy, who really wanted to be a presenter and was doing stuff with Represent Radio. We did four programs with the BBC. She maintained a relationship with people she'd met. This year, January, she's now a full-time presenter for BBC Radio One Extra. That, that kind of stuff... If I die today, I'm I'm happy. Like I know I've helped a real person with some real stuff. There's young people I've met who've raised money um, for their projects and it's growing. There's people I've met who've landed their dream jobs and I've been a, been able to be a reference for them, been able to offer them strategies and decks and like how to manage burnout and how to manage uh, passive aggressiveness at, in the workplace. So that is one of the big mountain tops I'm very proud of. And there's so many people to name. Um, but yeah, that's a big, a big, big thing. I'll say a second thing has been um, just a transition in family. So 
obviously, as you mentioned, you know, having the experience of not being that that much of a great kid for a little bit of my childhood and then becoming a good kid. Ten years later, I've been able to take my dad to Buckingham Palace for me to win an award from the Queen. That kind of meant something because, yeah, we weren't always on best of terms um, at all points in my early teenage years. But, you know, we were on a good, really good path and we've been a good path for 10 years now. So um, that stuff means something because my, my mum and dad have never been to certain institutions. They just live here as citizens and it, I do it for my family, really. Um, so that means a lot. Can you tell me, the, the people that you've helped get jobs, what part of your business is that through? Super talent. So it's, we're a super network. We have a platform. We give out opportunities. We do programs with corporates. We do individual programs for people who want to level up their career. And um, yeah, super talent is a training side of our business, upskilling people. And then we often post a weekly newsletter with live jobs, live paid gigs, freelance gigs. And then obviously everything else we've done over the years, like Super Academy and Super Tuck, have always had an element of employability within it as well. So there's stuff that if you come to one of our programs, you can write about it in your CV, you can tell stories as part of your portfolio that make you a better candidate, I hope. Is it kind of like with the super talent that you're creating the opportunities for other people that you created for yourself as a young boy? Absolutely. I need to find better ways to tell that story, but... Yeah, that's it. Like, how do we create other opportunities for people and make it safe, make it consistent, um, make it accessible as well? Like, accessibility is very, very important when we're talking about inclusion because there's so many opportunities out there. There is too many opportunities. Um, but opportunity is not always shared equally because you don't know what you don't know and you don't know and you don't know people you don't know. <laughs> so it's like, how do we bridge that gap? How do we tell better stories? How do you inspire people to become the new superstars of their life? Um and how do you let people know what's what's live and what the deadlines are? I've noticed that you're actually a really quotable person. Oh, thank you. And I wanted to ask you about this quote. My capacity to serve others will always remain at the heart of everything I do. Mm. Who's that by? My understanding that was you. Wow, that's powerful. How have you seen the fruits of that manifested in your life? Um, so, yeah, how I've seen it manifested in my life is, like, I've been coaching businesses in the last year, and that's been quite a good journey, a good growth for me, and it's been really nice to kind of just offer, like, so many different strategies and just watch outs that I learned around about the game that people can just apply to their business today. Um Another thing has been, yeah, when, when talking to younger cousins of mine, we have quite a big family, like 32, 32 of us on my mum's side, another 30 plus on my dad's side. There's a lot. What, aunties, lot of uncles us. and cousins? Yeah, there's 14 aunties and uncles on my mum's side and 14 on my dad's side, 17 on my dad's side, actually. So there's a lot of nieces, nephews, cousins, second cousins. And um, it's been awesome just dropping gems, like when you're with family, just sharing, like, look, this is... This is what it looks like to pitch to get your first house. This is how you should negotiate with your landlord. This is what it looks like if you want to go get your first office. This is where you place this advert if you're looking to launch your business. So my capacity to help is both professional and also personal. Um, my siblings are both creative. One's in a band and they're doing well. And the other one is um, a creative social media exec. And um, it's just been great to just share knowledge and help and unlearn because they're teaching me stuff as well or I'm, I'm not the sensei like I'm, I'm just a vessel here on earth 
So you've been able not only to help the wider community, but to help members of your family make positive changes in their life. It's important. It's so important. If you're talking independence, talking ownership, you're talking generational wealth, you've got got to teach people. Like, there's a quote I live by, which is, you can give a man a fish and it'll last him a few days, or you can teach a man to fish or last him a lifetime. And with the responsibility and the access that gets created with the work I do, if I'm not careful, I'll just collect and collect more people who depend on me. And that's something that we need to also talk about. That's that's the side that for successful young black men, where you're the first in your family to do something, like, like that's the stuff that holds you back to get into the next level because you feel guilty to hold everyone back. But I just feel empowered. I'm like, right, well, how do I, how do I help people level up? What can I, what can I, what, what can I show them that will help half their process? And, and how can we teach each other? Because there's stuff that they, they learn independently that could help me as well, you know? Honestly, what you're talking about is completely life goals. Oh, thank you. We're going to move into the final section of this podcast, which is the things I wish I'd known section. And what I want to ask you is, what advice would you give to young men who are starting out today? How would you advise them to push forward in achieving their purpose? So I think a few things that are quite important to me as I think about achieving your purpose, becoming that, that you know, young boy who becomes a man, I think, first of all, is trying to identify who you want to be and model Try and model that. So if you want to be a leader in the community, go and learn about other leaders in the community. If you want to be a sergeant, if you want to be a mogul or an executive, if you want to be a designer, go find out what the best of the best look like and what they do and find out their stories, find out the key things that they have done because you'll see pattern. When you research history, you see patterns. Again, advocate. You can go and look at it on audio, look at it in video, you don't have to just learn via text reading. There's loads of different forms of learning, but study history, history these clues. Number two, after studying history, make, make a, a little log diary, create a book for yourself, a little notepad of the things that resonate and the things you're gonna apply. So take a little bit from every single story that you see, like what school did they go, what online course did they attend, what are they recommending when you listen to their interviews? because they leave clues. So make a log and now you have your own lesson plan, essentially your own little yearly lesson plan with things that you can go to help achieve new milestones. Number three, identify your guided values. There's loads of resources online. You can just tap me up on my DMs and I'll give you some, but write down five values that are important to you because they're going to help you say yes and no to opportunities that don't serve you. So figure out what your values are. And number four, start. Start somewhere, start with a course, start with an exercise, a project that you want to do, but start because when you start, you now have a story to tell. You now have something to take as a portfolio piece to people. And then the last and final piece of advice, which is the number five, is be consistent. Everything you do compounds and compounding happens over time. So it's that little course, it gets completed, you apply for the opportunity, you create a little project, these things start to compound. And when you look back, you will see how far you've come. So I think, yeah, those are the five things that I'd recommend that someone can do today in their life. Um, 
and just check with themselves every quarter and review. Don't don't be too stuck up on the plan. Like if it's not working, change something. The goal remains the same, but you don't. The pathway doesn't have to stay the same. Brilliant. Thank you so so much. You've given us so much value, and it's been so inspiring. Excellent. That was BJ Malenga. Check out our show notes for more information about his super network, more information about BJ, and also there is a guided values worksheet for you to work out what your five main values are. They should shape how you plan your future life. If you've enjoyed this episode, check out some of our earlier podcasts. We've been blessed to have Solomon Smith, the founder of Brixton Soup Kitchen, Amani Simpson, award-winning social entrepreneur and filmmaker, Olodipo Agbolawaje, an award-winning playwright, and many, many more. Be blessed and have an awesome month of May. Thanks for listening. New episodes are available on the first Tuesday of every month. If you enjoyed the show, don't forget to click subscribe on iTunes or your podcast provider so you never miss an episode. Finally, The Good Man, exploring economics and the spirit, is available on audible.com now. And if it's your first book, it's free. Thanks for listening and stay blessed. Thank you.